2: I've been in the right place, but it must have been wrong
3: Good evening, and welcome to Clearing Convincing, the show that looks at criminal cases from the perspective of the courts, not the court of public opinion. We're Lisa O'Brien, podcasting from New Orleans, Louisiana, where carnival season has arrived, bringing king cakes and the colors purple, green, and gold. I had my first piece of king cake today, and it was from High Dough Bakery on Terry Parkway, and it was delicious. I'm joined by Michael Carnahan from Little Rock, Arkansas, where the largest tornado outbreak in state history occurred on January 21st and January 22nd, 1999, with 56 tornadoes, including an F4 near Jonesboro. Thank you for joining us for Episode 46, State of Arkansas versus Curtis LaVelle Vance. Tonight, we'll talk about Vance's victim, Ann Presley, the evidence that linked Vance to Presley's rape and murder, and a similar rape in Mariana, Arkansas. Then we'll talk about Vance's 2009 trial and conviction, his sentencing, direct appeal, and state post-conviction claims. Finally, we'll discuss the controversial mistrial in the Mariana rape case and Patricia Kennedy's lawsuit against St. Vincent Medical Center and the personnel who accessed Ann's records without a legitimate medical purpose. We are a live show, and as always, calls are welcome. Our phone number is 347-989-1171. Good evening, Michael.
4: Good evening, Lisa. How are you doing tonight?
3: Pretty good. We had had some sad news over the weekend, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, I do have one update on Rodney Reed. There is a hearing scheduled in Bastrop County uh, District Court this Friday, January 24th. Uh, Reed has challenged the appointment of Judge J.D. Langley to hear his remanded state post-conviction claim and is seeking that the, withdraw- that the appointment of Judge Langley be withdrawn, and that's set mm-hmm. for a hearing before Judge Langley on Friday. And also, his uh, writ to the U.S. Supreme Court was not decided on Friday. It has been distributed for, the, I think, the sixth time for conference on Friday, January 24th,
4: 2020. Right, right. So, that's the, uh, I mean, that's a lot. <laughs>
3: right but you know his prior his prior writ on the DNA testing issue was distributed 3 or 4 times for conference before ultimately being denied right right so uh and you know i think the 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 conference lists were very extensive mhm like 400 cases or 300 cases, or 200 cases. So it may be that during conference they did not get to a discussion and and a decision regarding Reed's case. Uh, Justice Gorsuch also does not participate. So there's a possibility Mm -hmm. that Justice Gorsuch just hasn't, hasn't given them any idea of whether he wants to grant the writ or deny the writ.
4: Right, right.
3: So, so um, that I, – I don't think it's significant. I think they just haven't gotten to discussing it and, and deciding whether to grant it or deny it.
4: Right, right. So they're just trying to decide whether or not they're going to allow it to move forward? Am correct. I understanding that correctly?
3: That's correct. Their decision is whether to grant the writ. And uh, decide the issues presented by Reed, or to deny the writ and not hear the issues.
4: Mhm.
3: Hmm. Okay. Okay. So, um, and then again, as as I said, the the horse racing world lost a. A very prominent stallion over the weekend, on January 18, 2020, classic winner and influential style, sire, Empire Maker, passed away as a result of a rare disease that compromised his immune system. Empire Maker was foaled on April 27, 2000, the son of Unbridled, out of the El Gran Senor Mayor Tuso. During his racing career, Empire Maker, Maker finished in the money in eight starts including wins in the Wood Memorial, Florida Derby, and Belmont Stakes during his three-year-old campaign. His Belmont Stakes win was the spoiler to Funny Side's 2003 Triple Crown bid. The late Bobby Frankel once said that Empire Maker was the best horse he'd ever trained. In 2015, Empire Maker returned from Japan to stand at Gainesway. In a statement released this weekend, Anthony Beck said, The passing of Empire Maker will leave us a tremendous void, not only in the breeding industry as we know it, but in the hearts of all of us who work with him every day. It was a huge honor and privilege to stand Empire Maker at Gainesway with our partners, Don Alberto. He was the epitome of class and quality. I've never been involved with a stallion that possessed a better disposition. His impact on the breed has been significant, particularly producing very sound stock. He will be missed by all of us at Gamesway. As a sire, Empire Maker produced seven hundred and twenty six individual winners and sixty two black type winners, including including thirty three at the graded level and twelve grade one winners. Empire Maker was a sire of Grade One winners Bodemeister, Royal Delta, and Pioneer of the Nile. His three year old son, Eight Rings, will likely begin a triple campaign two triple crown. Campaign this spring. Empire mm-hmm. Maker was also grandsire to Triple Crown and Grand Slam winner American Pharaoh, Kentucky Derby winner Always Dreaming, two year old champion Classic Empire, Midnight Storm, Cairo Prince, Hail to the Nile, and Nihilist. His daughters have produced 475 winners, including 43 stakes winners. Empire Maker was 20 years old. And then I have, I want to close out with a poem. Uh, I saw this on Facebook. It was posted by a gentleman named Robert Graham. Uh, And it's an adaptation of a Norse uh, poem, I guess. Lo, there do I see my father. Lo, there do I see my mother and my sisters and my brothers. Lo, there do I see the line of my kindred back to the beginning. Lo, they do call to me. They bid me take my place among them. In the fields of Elysium, where the children of Pegasus may live forever. So that is. Oh, that is Empire
4: Maker. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, Empire Maker passed away when now?
3: On Saturday. Okay. Yeah. He had – he stood in the United States, and then in 2010, he was sold and stood in Japan, and he's produced a lot of great horses in Japan as well. And then in 2015, after uh, Triple Crown – American Pharaoh's Triple Crown bid was successful, uh, Gainesway brought him back to the United States and he was reestablishing himself as a quality sire once again. And right, and this is when he, he passed
4: away was when he was, you mm-hmm. know, starting to kind of be on the come up.
3: Correct. He has uh eight rings is like I said eight rings is three. Uh he did pretty well during his 2-year-old season and he'll start Probably the Triple Crown bid. We probably will see him in the Kentucky Derby. He'll certainly be racing to get his points,
4: <laughs> right, for the right. Derby
3: this this spring.
4: Okay, okay, that's certainly something to look for. You know, uh, something to follow. I, heck, I, I mm-hmm. mean. Uh, Obviously, I'm not a veteran as far as watching that stuff, but heck, I might even keep up with
3: that. Yeah. Well, I follow all these horses on Twitter and Facebook. Um, I followed Pioneer of the Nile. I follow American Pharaoh, California Chrome, uh, Classic Empire, Nyquist. I mean, (laughs) all of these horses. Uh, because I love forces. hmm and, um, and, you know, it's nice to see how they're doing. And and American Pharaoh and Classic Empire, and Justify for that matter, who I also follow, uh, you know, they've all taken to their duties at Coolmore. And they all look really good. Mm-hmm. I think it shows how well taken care of they are.
4: Right, absolutely. Well, and I, I think, I think absolutely, it's, it's the situation. It's the situation where, you know, it, it, it always, I believe, goes back to you know how well something's taken care of, kind of like a professional athlete, a professional athlete if he takes care of, if he or she takes care of their body correctly and does this and does this correctly then it uh it uh lends itself to being better and you know performing better and things like that and obviously mm-hmm. just like a horse you know it comes down to genes in some instances and things like
2: that
3: right right um but he was he was a good uh he was well regarded and, you know, like I said, the, the Gainesway, I think the manager, he may even be an owner at Gainesway. I mean, he prepared a statement that was almost a eulogy for Empire Maker. That's, that's how much they care about these horses, even when their racing careers are are over. And when his breeding career was over, he probably would have gone to old friends. Or the Kentucky Horse Park for his retirement. Right, right. So, um, yeah. So that is, yeah, Empire Maker, but he's, and, and American Pharaoh's producing classic Empire's first foals are just being born this year. But uh, we'll see when they turn two how they do. I wouldn't be surprised if they produced as well as Empire Maker did, because Pioneer of the Nile did pretty well. Right.
4: So I mean that'll be something like I said to keep an eye on because you know, it it's it's one of those things that you know it could be a pretty good feel good story.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Yes. So, all right, we're going to talk tonight about uh, Ann Sparkman Presley. And hopefully, we'll spend a little bit more time talking about her than we do about uh, Curtis Vance and the case against him. So, this is what I've been able to find on Ann Presley. She was born on August 28, 1982, in Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, some sources say Buford, South Carolina, but she grew up in Greenville. <clears throat> her parents split up when she was in her early teens. So and she wasn't
4: from Arkansas, you know, Lisa?
3: No, she wasn't from Arkansas, but they moved to Little Rock, <laughs> when she was in her early teens and she finished high school in Little Rock.
4: Okay. Okay. Um, I I get I, okay. I, I thought she had grown up her whole life here.
3: Yeah, no, she she was uh grew up in her up to her early teens in Greenville, South Carolina, and then they moved to Little Rock. It doesn't say the name of her high school, which I'm appalled because and if she were from Louisiana it would say what high school she went to Um, because that's a very big thing here. Right. Um, She went on to Rhodes college in Memphis, Tennessee where she earned her BA in political science in 2003. She was hired by KATV channel seven in May of 2004 She initially started off producing the Good Morning Arkansas show and reporting for Midday Arkansas and Saturday Um, Daybreak. She was described as having a vibrant personality, with a radiant smile and positive, cheerful demeanor. And she quickly built up a following among local local viewers of the programs. After six months, months she was promoted to full time reporter. And her favorite interview was a chance encounter with Vice President Dick Cheney, who she came across while he was visiting a nearby hunting supply store while on vacation in Arkansas. Oh, okay. um, a, a chance encounter with Oliver Stone landed in a role in his film, W, which was released in 2008. Right. She played a political. She played a an Ann Coulter type political commentator. Okay. And it wasn't too long after that
4: that this happened, correct?
3: Correct. I don't remember when W and W may have been released you know just prior to or just after. Look, can you look up to see when it was released? Yeah, 2008? of course. It
4: may have been it may have been just uh before because I remember they were making a big deal about she was in it.
3: Okay, yeah.
4: Hold on, I am I am googling right now.
3: Oh, perfect.
4: Got to love being on the air. Nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Your
3: well no this proves again for our audience this proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are live we okay, do not record not and edit true
4: it was not out yet it dropped in October of that year
3: it probably dropped shortly after can you find a premiere date or anything October 25th oh my goodness it, it opened the day she died. Wait, what? Really? Mm-hmm.
4: Hold on. Let me Google that one more time.
3: Okay. No way.
4: Okay, excuse me. October 17th.
3: October 17th. Okay. So it premiered shortly before she passed. Right. Okay. I you know, you don't you never know that's entirely possible.
2: I mean,
4: that would be uh something something else, man.
3: Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Um so that was that was her life. Um she apparently had a great career. Um again, everybody described her as just such a A lovely, wonderful person. And even competing reporters with other stations became her friend. Because Mm -hmm. in spite of the competitive nature, she could still be friendly and open with other reporters and, you know, become friends with them outside of their work. And uh, a friend of hers told the story about a, an interview with, that they did with Bill Clinton. They were with competing mm-hmm. stations. Uh, Clinton was in town, and they were just kind of hanging around after the event had concluded. and Ann was able to get his attention. Um, of course, we know how that happened. And right. he came over and not only did he did she get an interview with him, an exclusive. But the NBC reporter with her got an interview, exclusive with President Bill Clinton, outside of of the event, and outside of the the you know planned media, which says a lot about her. She didn't you know get his attention and say, okay, bye, go away. This is mine she did hers and she let her her friend do do her own interview right you know which a lot of reporters wouldn't do so
4: i mean that's pretty cool
3: mhm i think it's very cool and um you know, everybody her her family she was, you know, loved she had a her mom and her stepfather. Um her mom had apparently moved back to South Carolina but they were visiting or her mother was visiting Little Rock. Mm-hmm. And her mother was staying, you know, elsewhere in Little Rock at that point. And I think there had been some uh event the night before that uh Anne had attended.
4: So
1: she but
3: was I couldn't living
4: on her own.
3: Yeah, she was living in uh I think it was a rental house. It was near a golf course in an area called The Heights. Mm,
4: the Heights. I think that's yeah. I think in a pretty affluent neighborhood here in Little Rock.
3: Correct. But it was it, the house looks like it was one of those little bungalow type places. Right. It looks very small, um, but uh, yeah, it's it's an it's an affluent neighborhood.
4: And for all the uh, southern people that are w- listening to this podcast right now, affluent is rich. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. We're trying to appeal to a so, northern fan base right now, Lisa. With all this big talk.
3: <laughs> no unfortunately that's just the way i talk i i have been told i had somebody i used to argue with on a, a internet discussion board mm-hmm. and they're one of the responses like damn girl every time i read one of your posts i have to have a dictionary next to me <laughs> <laughs> that definitely like, okay. A, yeah, you just you just.
4: I wouldn't take it as a knock. You
3: off. think you think you're insulting me, but you just insulted yourself.
4: Right.
3: Wow. So. Um, and um, now we we go back a little bit in time. To April of two thousand eight, in Mariana, Arkansas. A young teacher named Kristen um, was in her home, and a man came into her home. He took her cell phone, her charger. She only had $3 on her, and he took that, and then he raped her. She didn't see him uh she didn't try to look at him and you know he came got her from behind kind of a sneak blitz attack and she was compliant and so he left and she reported the attack and reported the burglary robbery and it remained unsolved So this As is October twentieth Cur- well, he getting into Vance's history, you know, I think he was a burglar, but I think that if he found a woman home alone, he would take advantage of that, so he' was an opportuni- opportunistic rapist mhm um, and during the Days before Anne was attacked, neighbors of hers did talk about um, having seen a strange man trying to get into houses, lurking around in front yards, backyards. Um, he was chased off a couple times by husbands, and mm-hmm. uh, but they didn't connect it until later
4: until it was too late of course
3: until it was correct until it was too late now you know i would think if you if you meet that much resistance in a neighborhood that you go to another neighborhood right but i think he also i think he changed his tactic and returned in the early morning hours i think he i think he came out during the day to case places
4: Right. I mean, this dude is persistent.
1: And that's when he was
3: seen and chased off. And then it was in the early morning hours that he actually uh, pursued burglaries and, and break-ins.
4: I mean, I'll give him this. He's persistent.
3: Correct. He is. Very persistent. Um, and, of course, at this point, we only know about two victims. Right. Uh, there may be more out there because rape is one of the continues to be one of the most underreported crimes. Um, right. And he didn't have
4: a criminal record. To speak of. So uh,
3: October 20th, 2008. Um, it's believed that Vance gained entry to Ann Presley's home through a doggy door that she had for two, uh, her two Cocker Spaniel dogs. Mm Mm-hmm. So that they could go in and out of the house, um, to do their, to do their thing in the, you know, during the night. Right. And, um... The theory, because Ann was never able to tell anyone what happened, is that she resisted a sexual assault and was then beaten and severely injured. At 3 in the morning, Ann's mother, Patricia Kennedy, tried to call her because she called her every day. It's kind of a wake-up call um, because Ann had to be on the air at 4.30 in the morning. As the member right. of the morning show on KATV, so uh, her mother would just call her and make sure she was up and and getting you know getting ready, doing everything she needs to to get to the station on time. Right. And right. Uh, so it, there's kind of a sort of a parallel with Stacey Stites. Yeah. Where she had to be at work at an ungodly early hour in the morning.
4: I never really thought about that.
3: Yeah, um, and on that morning, Ann didn't answer the phone, and since her mother was staying in Little Rock, she went over to the house thinking that, you know, a little concerned, but thinking, well, maybe she was in the shower when I called. Maybe she had the hair dryer going when I called and didn't hear the phone, but she wanted to go over and make sure Ann was up and and getting ready. And uh, when she went in to the house, everything, nothing looked disturbed. And then she got to the bedroom and found Ann on the bed. Um, again, she'd been severely beaten. Uh, she had defensive wounds, defensive injuries on her left hand, on her upper body. Um, her mother ran out and had a neighbor call police. And then police responded and Anne was taken to St. Vincent's Medical Center. Um, Her condition was critical, but they were able to stabilize her. And over the next several days, there were highs and lows. She would seem to be rallying, and then she would have a setback, and then she would rally again. But on October 25th, 2008, her condition suffered another setback and she wasn't able to recover from that and she passed away with her family and several of her friends there on October 25th 2008
4: So, I mean, she kind of laid around and kind of suffered for a while with this, you know? I I mean obviously she was
3: she, she was crying. never. She never regained consciousness. Um, and I would expect that they probably, um, if she had even, if if they'd have even thought that she was conscious and responsive, that they would have probably induced a medical coma or something along those lines. But I think mm. the the severity of the brain injury that she sustained um, probably was not. I, I don't think that she was conscious. I don't think that she was responsive to anything going on.
4: Right. And
3: so you know, it it's just. Because I think a lot of the a lot of the injury involved the brain stem. I mean. So, um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's sad, especially that she seemed to be rallying and getting better. And then there would be a setback. And then she would seem to rally and get better. And then this final setback, there was just no... There was, there was no, no coming back. Right. I had read somewhere that her brain when when you sustain an injury like that to the brain, the brain tends to swell and fluid builds up. And then it becomes a you know, a battle to keep the fluid um from building up and causing more damage. And I had read somewhere that the the her death was really the result of the brain just them not being able to get ahead of the fluid buildup,
4: really, and the pressure. Build so, up. so I mean, if they could have, hmm.
3: Well, sometimes the injury to the brain is so severe, right? And you know, there's just nothing that you can do.
4: Right, right.
3: As hard as as hard as she fought, um, there was just nothing, and and there was not really anything medical that could be done because the body, the the brain's reaction is sometimes just insurmountable. Yeah, so. I can understand that, and that. I I did not the there's there aren't a lot of documents about the case posted online, um, so I can only go by articles that I've read and and things of that nature. Uh, but again, as I said, she had and had sustained severe brain injury.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, her her skull was fractured. She had a fractured jaw. Um, I mean, without going into detail, it was, it was very severe. That she, that she survived and was alive when her mother got there was a pretty remarkable thing. And that she survived for five days afterwards is remarkable
1: mm-hmm.
3: in and of itself. And it shows how much life meant to Anne because she did fight and she did try very very hard. True. I think on on some unconscious level, um, Anne was also on a an organ donor, and following her death, she helped six recipients.
4: Oh, that's awesome.
3: So. Um, their uh, her family they they were also very devout christians and while her her mother and stepfather and and friends were all you know heartbroken they knew that she was uh in a better place after she lost her battle to to come back to them
2: right
3: and um She was cremated after a funeral service on October 30th. The funeral service was held at St. Andrew's Anglican Church on uh, Canis Road in Little Rock. Canis. And I kind of remember, you know, I remember vaguely because I lived in Marion when this happened. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I kind of vaguely remember hearing about it. And I think KATV actually... You know, did some coverage of the of the service, um, and I, you know, I, I remember seeing the the. I watched it on YouTube as well, but I remember seeing on that Saturday night the uh, anger woman announcer breaking down when she announced that Anna had died.
4: Well, uh, first off, Lisa, I do have to correct you. It's Canis. And,
3: uh, I'm sorry.
4: (laughs) And yeah, I mean, I'm sure it was quite an emotional situation. I mean, I was living in Fayetteville, well, Springdale at the time. I was actually still, uh, in high school. Uh, well, no, I was just out of high school whenever this happened. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it even made news up there. Like it was a pretty big story and still is, you know, I mean, there's, Obviously, the conspiracy theories with something this big as far as the story goes, you know, I've heard things from the Clintons to a uh, famous boxer from Little Rock, everything in between. Right. With this, and, but.
3: and all of, I have read on on the the videos dedicated to Anne are pretty much okay. But mm-hmm. on the videos that deal with Vance, there are horrendous, horrible comments from people oh, yeah. that she got what she deserved. She was a rich bitch um racist comments not only about her but about Vance you know the the both sides of the racism spectrum are right. putting in their two cents and um it's just, uh,
4: I mean, Lisa, what do you, you say so? Like, I love my faith, but come on
3: now. Well, it happens in a lot of states. I mean, you know, it's the same again, another parallel to although there is no claim of a relationship, um, there's mm. just a claim that, that Ann Presley was. Uh, promiscuous and sleeping with a bunch of people and they, you know, some of the pro-Vance people misrepresent what the evidence was and um, mm-hmm. and so then, you know, people get the idea that there was DNA from somebody other than Vance found, although that's, you know, not true. So... I just, yeah, I, I just can't. And there's not a lot available online, but you can find the Arkansas Supreme Court right. on the direct appeal, which summarizes what evidence they had.
4: Right, right.
3: So, um, and I'm frankly somewhat surprised that the uh, Innocence Project hasn't come in and tried to do the same thing that they're doing with Rodney Reed, you are alleging man. cover up and you know uh, insufficient evidence and maybe alleging there was a secret affair and all that stuff,
4: yeah, then people uh, then people will dig at anything, man, and they don't care who they hurt, they don't care, you know what I'm saying, they don't care who they yeah you know. there's nothing good I can say about those people.
3: Yeah. So, um, so that was uh, after Ann's struggle. Now, of course, after the attack, um, the investigation of, uh, the police investigation started on October 20th, 2008. Um, Some of the evidence they, they, knew about right away, and some of the evidence that they, um, you know, they had to wait for testing to be completed in order to to get more clarity. Right. Uh, One of the things that they did find, they they did find physical evidence that was capable of DNA testing, including a hair with a root attached that was found on Presley's, on Anne's bed. Mm -hmm. Um, and credit card was also used at a gas station by Curtis Vance hmm okay on October 20th Um, DNA from that hair as well as some of the other uh, physical evidence that that they recovered DNA from led to a link between the April two thousand and eight attack on Kristen and Mariana and the attack on Anne and Little Rock. Mhm so hmm. um, that was that was where they stood. Um, Curtis Vance's early life uh, apparently he was abused by his mother. Uh, He had turned to a life of crime and was known to steal electronics, which he could then easily sell to pawn shops, et cetera, to make some quick cash. Um, There also were hints of anger issues. While there were some people in his life who said this isn't him, He, he could never do something like this, there were other people that said, well, he was, you know, he was did have a temper. Right, and did resort to violence when that temper was ignited. So, um, uh, investigators from Little Rock and the FBI went to Mariana once the link between the two cases was made. In other words, the DNA from the Mariana rape was I. A profile that was identical to the DNA in Ann's case, suggesting that the person who committed both crimes was the same person. However, there was no reference sample in the database to lead to identifying that person, so investigators had to do some old-fashioned footwork. Uh, one of the mm-hmm. first things that they did is they went to Mariana, and they developed a list of suspects, uh, which at that point, Vance was not one of those suspects. Uh, after that, I guess the following day, they kind of enlarged the suspect pool, and that's when Vance became a suspect. Right. So they were talking to other all the other suspects, all their suspects, they went to Vance's home and asked him to accompany them to the police station. Uh, read, brought him to the police station, read him his Miranda rights. Or no, they didn't read him his rights because he wasn't under arrest. They told him you could go, or you you don't have to go if you don't want to go. You can go if you want to go. It's okay. Um, So he voluntarily accompanied them to the police station. He voluntarily spoke to them at the police station, and he voluntarily agreed to a cheek swab.
4: Right. So he had been Mirandized, all this stuff.
3: Well, no, no. no. Actually, again, I want to correct that. That was a misstatement. That first trip, with Arkansas rules, uh, criminal procedure, and cases interpreting that, if the police say, we want to talk to you, you're not under arrest, Uh, we'd like you to come to the police station, but you don't have to come. If you Mm -hmm. voluntarily go with them and you voluntarily speak to them, they don't have to mirandize you. Okay. All right. I did not know
4: um,
3: that. They, they weren't necessarily treating him as a suspect. He was a potential suspect, and what they were doing was talking to him and trying to um, and getting a sample of DNA to eliminate him.
2: Right. Hmm.
3: Okay. So, uh, and like I said, it, it, in some in some states, you know, and different police agencies are going to do it differently. Uh, mm-hmm. NOPD, even if you're a witness, if you go to the police station to talk to anybody, they probably will just read you your Miranda rights as a formality just in case you say something that might incriminate you later. Mm-hmm. Um, but like I said, in Arkansas, the interpretation of the rule, and that was a rule that was uh, used in West Memphis Three. Mm-mm. When Jesse Miss Kelly accompanied Mike Allen to the police station on the morning of June 3rd. Right. And Dan Stidham tried to argue that he, Miss Kelly wasn't told that he didn't have to go to the station and therefore, anything he said at the station is inadmissible and should not have been allowed in his trial mm-hmm. because Mike Allen didn't tell him you don't have to go. Hmm. But that, that determination, as we'll discuss a little bit later, is really it's based on a case-by-case basis looking at the totality of the circumstances right and that would include Vance's interpretation and the interpretation of the police officers true and and sometimes when a person becomes a defendant in a in a criminal case their interpretation of what happened and the interpretation of the police officers can be diametrically opposed to one another or usually will become diametrically opposed to one another. And then in that case, the judge just has to make a credibility call who looks like they're telling the truth to him and who or her and who looks like they're um, uh, embellishing. Right. So, um, they were able to actually, I think, pretty quickly get a uh, return on the DNA because Vance was arrested within a couple of days of giving the DNA sample. Mm-hmm. And at the police station, he uh, he kind of made an admission. And then he invoked and said he wanted an attorney, so they stopped questioning him. Uh, he was appointed an attorney. The attorney filed a request that he be notified if Vance was being brought to the police station to talk to police again. And then a few days later, Vance contacted police and said he wanted to talk. Mm-hmm. He was brought back to the police station. His attorney was notified. Uh, I'm not really clear on this, but the impression that I got was the attorney was not permitted to talk to Vance. And Vance did not ask to talk to the attorney once the attorney arrived. Right. And Vance agreed to waive his Miranda rights. And speak with police And at that time he made Another confession Although Hmm. this time uh, He changed the story somewhat To claim that other people Were involved And to claim that he was Outside waiting in the car When the other people Came running out of the house Right Uh, And apparently During a search of his Mothers in Mariana, I believe Ann's laptop was found. Hmm. So, uh, and again, they knew, I think they had him on camera using the credit card on October 20th. Bro. So So, um, that confession, and then uh, he apparently gave a third confession And he was eventually charged with capital murder, rape, burglary, and um, a couple of other charges. Right. Uh, In in Ann's case, um, he was convicted of residential burglary. He was charged, rather, capital murder. Residential burglary, theft of property, and rape.
4: Hmm.
3: Okay. So, um, and uh, let's go, go ahead and do the pretrial, and then we'll, we'll take a few minutes, take a little break. Okay. Uh, pre-trial, the main thing that, uh, that Vance's attorneys focused on were his confessions. Mhm and they basically argued that the initial statement in Mariana at the police station and the DNA sample were all illegally obtained, and therefore uh, all statements made after that point had to be suppressed because that illegal uh, illegal action made all that evidence through the poisonous tree
4: right right
3: and the judge found that uh, based on his determination of the credibility of Vance versus the police officers that um, Vance's actions once he was at the police station made it clear that he was there voluntarily
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, he Vance consented in writing to give his saliva for DNA and his demeanor while giving his statement was uh, not one of a person who was being subjected to examination but of someone who was trying to clear his name hmm. which was what okay. Vance claimed was the only reason he went um, and then you know his other later statements, after he had counsel and the count and counsel had said, you know, don't talk to him unless I'm there. Um, the court ruled that uh, again, Miranda rights you can invoke them, but you can waive them, right. and that's with the defendant, not the attorney. Mm-hmm. So. If the defendant contacts police and initiates contact with police and agrees to talk to them after being advised of his Miranda rights, which Vance was advised of, and doesn't seek to speak to his attorney first, that, again, is voluntary. Hmm. Um, Okay. You know, that makes the the statement voluntary and no violation of his Fifth or Sixth Amendment rights. And you know, again the judge found and this is Judge Chris Piazza, who I think we've heard about in another
4: The I name sounds maybe
3: that familiar. was Liddell I think that was Liddell Lee's case.
4: Yeah. It sounds familiar for sure.
3: Yeah. Um so uh Judge Piazza denied the motion to suppress uh, ruling that Vance had not disputed that he reinitiated contact with police and that he did not expect a lawyer to be there. Um, and the record supported the decision as appellant testified at the hearing that he knew his attorney had told him to not, not to talk to police, but that he needed to talk to somebody that knew something about his case and he felt he had a right to talk to the police. Mhm. So, again, if you, if you happen to be in a position where you're facing criminal charges and you said I want an attorney don't go behind your attorney's back and talk to police and certainly don't go into a hearing and say that that's exactly what you did because you felt the police needed to know that you could do a better job of clearing your name than your attorney could. Right. And um, this is where Judge Piazza ruled that the right to counsel is appellant's right to assert, and it is his right to waive. Accordingly, mm-hmm. the circuit court ruled that appellant's Fifth and Sixth Amendment rights were not violated when police officers denied his counsel's request to be present during interviews that appellant himself had requested. Mm-hmm. And again – he was Mirandized before those interviews began, and he did say, okay, let's wait for my attorney, and then I'll talk to you. Okay. So that's that pretty much the crux of the pretrial. Um, they also – they were seeking to keep evidence of the um, Mariana rape out. But um, Chris, Judge Piazza found that you know, in both instances, the defendant had entered the homes to steal electronics, which crimes then progressed to raping the victims, and they rejected Vance's arguments that the cases were dissimilar. And his main reason the cases were dissimilar was Kristen Edwards wasn't uh, – Kristen wasn't beaten, Kristen was alive, and Ann Presley was beaten and was not. But again, that's more a difference between victims. Right. Kristen complied, and Anne fought back. And in my little heart of hearts, I hope she landed a couple of really good ones on him.
4: Right. I mean, I hope I. I, If you want me to be honest, I hope Anne beat the shit out of him.
3: Well, I don't know that she could have necessarily um, beaten shit out of him, right? Uh, unless she had her hands on the tool that he used to be her first, and he was able to take it away from her. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that that was. I don't know that that was the case, and he wasn't arrested for over a month. Or around right. a month. So, you know, we don't know if he had any injuries or mm-hmm. or scratches or anything like that. True. But, you know, even one good shot in the nose with the palm of her hand.
1: Very true. Very true. I mean, just, so. bam. Just
3: one. Yeah. And then the... The only other pretrial issue was that the state sought to limit um, testimony from mental health experts as to Vance's mental state. And this is also similar to the issue with Ms. Kelly's confession in uh, the West Memphis Three case. They sought to bring in Offshay to say it was false confession. In this case, they also sought to bring in an examiner that, Basically, said Vance was such a low IQ and a low functioning individual that uh, he made a false confession. And you can't do that. Whether the confession is true or false, and whether it is voluntary or involuntary, is ultimately a decision that has to be made by the jury.
4: Right, absolutely.
3: And they don't need an expert witness coming in and telling them that a confession is false or true or whatever Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: so um, the judge Judge Piazza did limit um, or even exclude the testimony of those experts because it really wasn't his mental state um, as far as at the time of trial at the time of the crime uh, that he was not guilty by reason of Mental disease or defect or insanity, but that he was uh, giving a false confession to a crime he didn't commit, in spite of the DNA evidence. Really? That said, you know that he was in the house, and this is what happened to Anne Presley while he was in her house. You know, you don't need to see raindrops to know it rained if the streets are wet. If yeah, absolutely. Carry an umbrella. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so, um, that is, that's pretty much up to the pre-trial. And um, let's go ahead and have our little quick break and we'll talk about the trial. Okay.
4: Well, ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to uh, Clear and Convincing. Uh, we'll have more after this.
1: Well, you done, done me, and you bet I felt it. I tried to beat you, but you're so hot that I melted. I fell right through the crack. Now I'm trying to get back Before the cool done run out I'll be giving it my best And nothing's gonna stop me But divine intervention I reckon it's again my turn To win some more learn
2: June 29th, it's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. See Arkansas favorites like Cataclysm, Ace of Mota, the original Misfit, Josh, Josh Cross, Cross Suicide the King, Ray Ray, Ray, Ray. Ray. Insane Shane, and current AWO champion, d Mike As they battle for redemption this Saturday in Ola at 307 West Hill Street. Doors open at 530. Concessions will be available. And this is a family-friendly show with kids under six getting in free. It's Redemption. Brought to you by the Arkansas Wrestling Organization. in the right place, but it must have been the wrong time.
4: Man.
3: By the way, program oh, note, Michael. Program Michael, the Pegasus mm-hmm. World Cup is being run this weekend on Saturday mm-hmm. from Gulfstream Park in Florida, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it will be televised on NBC beginning at 3.30 p.m. Okay. I'm going
4: to have to check
1: that Central out.
3: time. I'm going to be in yeah, but like, I'm going to
4: have
1: to check
3: that out. Yeah. Hopefully... Hopefully, they'll let you put it on <laughs> at the bar. Right, right. And, uh, you know, what What I love more than the races themselves is the commentary and seeing the horses in the paddock and the saddling area and back at the barns. And, um, you know, I I love seeing those things, those parts. That's Mm -hmm. what I tend to watch. Right. More than anything else. Yeah,
4: definitely. I mean, the pageantry of it all is what's really cool to me, honestly.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm going to get you hooked. Okay. Okay. So, all right, so we're going to move on to the trial in Little Rock, mm-hmm. and that was in November of two thousand and nine um i don't I don't have the exact dates. Uh, it was a relatively short trial, and um, basically the prosecution's case, they had the DNA evidence, they had the confessions that Vance made. Um, they had his possession of Anne's laptop, uh, I believe, and also the use of her credit card some distance from the house at about the time that uh, her mother discovered her okay, on the morning of October 20th. So you can't argue that the... Uh, the, you know, she used the card the night before or any of that stuff.
1: No, it absolutely. Was used
3: after her mother had discovered her. Yeah. Um, so that was, I don't know, other than basically testing and cross examining everybody related in the prosecution's case, it doesn't appear that Vance could put on much of a defense.
4: Right.
3: Especially with the... Everybody
4: thought that, you know, this was kind of open and shut. Like, it was definitely going to happen. You know, this guy... You know, people were already talking about death penalty for this dude because of how heinous it was.
3: Correct. And uh, I'm looking to see when the trial started. I've got the docket up right now. Uh, But it doesn't look like they put on much of a defense. They, you know, they may have Put on a witness or two to try and claim that he wasn't even in Little Rock uh, on the night of October 19th and October 20th, Mm
1: -hmm. but
3: uh, they obviously were not uh, believed. He also had a DNA expert that uh, checked the state's work and found that. One of the I guess one of the avenues they wanted to try and pursue was that the evidence from the Mariana case contaminated the evidence in Ann's case, but the his expert found that none of the evidence was process, processed at the same time. right. So you know there was no there was no chance that any there was any contamination. Um, okay. They may have still continued to argue that to the jury. Because there were some comments made on – in in closing argument by the prosecutor that leads me to believe that perhaps the defense was throwing anything and everything at the wall to see what would stick. And the um, prosecutor commented on that tactic unfavorably, uh, which the judge – you know, Warren basically granted the objections of Vance's counsel and eventually told the prosecutor to move on at right. the bench conference. So, um, and I'm looking right now, I know the trial was in November. Uh, the trying to see, let me do that they were serving subpoenas. Let's see. I should have printed this page out.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. So it looks like the jury trial started on the 9th of mm-hmm. November. That's right. Um the ninth, eleventh, and twelfth were the guilt innocence phase. hmm. And uh Vance on the twelfth was found guilty on capital murder, rape burglary and theft of property and sentencing was the same day Mm -hmm. and it was a relatively short sentencing proceeding Uh, in this particular case the jurors uh, chose to spare Vance and sentenced him to life in prison without possibility of parole on right. the capital murder charge. And then I believe the judge sentenced him on uh 20 years in ADC on bur- the burglary 10 years on the, the theft and uh life without per- parole on the rape as well.
1: Mhm.
3: Okay. So, uh
4: now we're leasing
3: it doesn't say whether they're con- concurrent or consecutive. It doesn't really matter because he's got right. life without parole. Right. Um, true. Now, he could uh, he could seek clemency and seek to have the life sentence, life without parole, converted to a life sentence
1: mm-hmm.
3: or reduced to a number of years. But I I don't see that I don't see that happening.
4: Right, absolutely not.
3: And we'll get into that a little bit later. So um, yeah, so the jurors elected to spare his life, and I think that you know his his mother testified that she abused him. Um, and they I guess during the guilt-innocent face, had other testimony uh, that led the jurors to believe that whatever mitigating factors there were outweighed the aggravating factors in our case. Um, And mother and stepfather, I think, initially were a little disappointed if that's that's not necessarily the right word, but oh, um, were, you know, I think they
4: were pissed off. You can be honest.
3: Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't want to. You know. They might have been initially thinking they wanted death, but then I think after they considered it, they think now that the life without parole may be the harsher sentence in the long run. True. And, uh, again, as we'll see a little bit later, uh, it probably is a harsher sentence in the long run because there's no Innocence Project trying to come in and get it overturned, allege new evidence, and get him out of prison. Right. Um, so, uh, but uh, now the, the Mariana case. Unfortunately, did not work out the same way in spite of the evidence in that case. Um, Vance had also confessed to that case. They had DNA from that case. But after the jury trial, the uh, jurors were unable to reach a verdict Mm -hmm. and a mistrial was declared. Okay. And apparently the jury was split seven to five, with seven refusing to convict and five refusing to acquit. Right. And interestingly, Vance testified at that trial that he admitted to being in Edward's home, but he said. There were mobs roaming the streets that day, and he went into her house to escape the mobs. Really? And seven jurors hung their, their hats on that.
2: Wow.
3: Uh, the case was tried in Lee County. Um, rather than Pulaski County. Right. Um a local attorney suggested in an article uh, called Lee County Just, Tri- Justice Mistrial of Curtis Vance written by David Kuhn in 2011, he suggested that police in Mariana didn't have a great reputation, and so the citizens of Lee County and Mariana did not trust DNA evidence, hmm. and that that is what, what resulted – um, the state elected not to pursue a, a second trial. Well, I, mean, I think Kristen didn't want to go through a second trial. And so uh, that case was never resolved. Now, Vance has, uh, and some of his supporters, has misrepresented it as an acquittal, but it's really a no right. verdict. It's not an acquittal.
4: Right. That's just a hey, so, the um, space. Like, screw it. We got him for life already. I'm not even going to bother with this other
3: one. Correct. And I was actually a little surprised that uh, they tried him after the capital murder conviction, although I guess because he wasn't sentenced to death. Yeah. They wanted to try and get a conviction on that crime as well so that um you know, if somehow or other the capital murder conviction didn't uh survive appeal, direct appeal, that he would still have the, the rape conviction hanging over right. his head. But, uh, I mean, at, Kristen was not happy about the outcome.
4: Oh, I can imagine.
3: Um, so, but as she saw it,
1: <clears throat>
3: that with the DNA evidence, that proved beyond all scientific certainty that Curtis Lavelle Vance was the man who attacked her. Right. And 7 of those jurors either did not understand the evidence or chose to ignore it and violate the oath they took to uphold justice.
4: I can imagine being pretty upset. Um, I
3: yeah, I would be as well. But uh you know, again, this is uh, again another parallel with the Rodney Reed case. Right, right. Because he's, you know, convicted of one rape but
1: Gets lack off of conviction
3: in another rape, it didn't happen. In spite right. of the evidence, the DNA evidence showing that it did. Um so uh there I I read Some articles that suggested that there was a racial divide uh, on the jury, but I don't know that that was – I don't know that that was the case. I don't know what the racial composition was of the jury or even the racial composition of the pool that they had to choose from. So, but, yeah, that was a disappointing. Uh, Of course, Vance's conviction and sentence were affirmed. Just
4: just myself, I can imagine, you know, if somebody got off on something that they did, like, see, this is why I'm kind of shady on this. Because, like, you mentioned that you're surprised that they still tried them on this. I think it's bullshit if they don't.
3: Well, there are a lot of things to consider. Um, You know, and a lot of factors that you have to kind of weigh. In this case, he had been convicted of capital murder and sentenced to life without parole in prison. He was an indigent defendant. So that means a defense attorney had to be appointed and paid by the state.
1: Mhm.
3: Expert fees had to be paid by the state. Uh, costs of bringing the case to trial would have had to be paid by the state for the prosecutor and for the defense. Right. Summoning a jury pool would have to be paid and done by the state. And then there's also the fact these are different counties. So he can't be at ADC while he's being tried. He has to be brought to and housed in Lee County. Again, what? Lee County or the state is going to have to pay that bill.
4: Let's be honest here. Um, there's he also
3: in some sometimes it's that that in and of itself is a security risk because county jails are not meant to house Murder. prisoners. Who have been convicted and have nothing to lose now,
2: right? So or we, family but,
3: members who believe their loved one is innocent and can go to the county jail very easily and perhaps break them out of prison or so break we, them out of the county jail.
4: That begs jail. the question: Had he been convicted, where do they where do they house him? Like, how's that No, way? no. no.
3: Okay, had he been convicted in Lee County of the rape of Kristen in April of 2008, he would have been sentenced to ADC,
1: mm-hmm. Arkansas
3: Department of Corrections. Right. Um, it, he may have been – I mean he may have been facing a life in prison for the rape charge. Right. I don't know what the sentencing guidelines are in Arkansas. Once he was convicted and sentenced, he would have gone back to ADC. It's just that ADC is not going to drive him to Lee County every day to attend his trial. Okay, I And he has a right know, to attend his trial.
4: I didn't know. And if, that's
3: why. That's why he there, would be housed in Lee County.
4: Is there any during the trial? Like, is there any states like uh, Rodney Reed, for example? Had he been convicted, would he have been? you know, housed in the same place still or like is there ever a situation where
1: they have,
4: okay, you committed a murder, so murderers go here, but you also committed a rape and convicted no, of that? And
3: this is I think is this is where um Arkansas Department of Corrections or, or or let's say Tennessee Texas Department of Corrections is one entity and they have Prisons around the you know around the state. Right. Then each county has a county jail.
1: Mhm.
3: And the county jails are meant for misdemeanors, holding right. people pending trial, holding people uh, pending sentencing. And you know you have a right to be present at all stages of your trial. Right. So if, say, in Rodney Reed's case, we'll, we'll talk about that one. Rodney Reed's convicted of capital murder, sentenced to death. He goes to ADC. Six mm-hmm. months later, they decide to bring the 12-year-old, rape of the 12-year-old case. They decide to try him on that. Right. He would have to be transported to Bastrop County. And he would have to be in Bastrop County during the entirety of that trial.
2: Okay, I got
3: you. Okay, um, if they don't have a prison in Austin, then he's going to be in Bastrop County. Mm-hmm. Now, if they were to have, a, if they had a prison in Austin, they could hold him in the prison and transport him every day. Although that's a, there's going to be a cost for that. Right,
4: absolutely.
3: And, you know, Bastrop County would have to pay that to ADC. Okay. And TDC. then you have to have guards. Uh, the TDC, TDOC, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm, I'm getting, you're getting me, you're getting me confused with the uh, initials.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs>
3: with these things, that's okay. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, so Vance, was housed in Lee County during that second trial
1: Mm -hmm. so that
3: he could attend court proceedings during that second trial. Okay. Once the mistrial was declared, he went back to ADC. Okay. And it was about two years before the the second trial started because that was in early 2011. Right. It was delayed a few times. So, um, yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the process. And, And one of the, I think the biggest risk, whether it's life in prison without possibility of parole or a death sentence, the security of the county where the trial is going to take place is a huge factor that has to be considered. True. In deciding whether or not to try somebody for an a, additional crime.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, and again, I mean, you know, in Bastrop County, that's where Reed is from. You know, his family could decide to break him out of jail if they wanted to. And they'd probably have less less resistance at the county jail than they might have at the at the prison, mhm so um you know i i not that they, I'm, not, I'm not saying that they would, but it's it's a possibility it could happen or someone right. could you know, get that idea, and it certainly would be easier in a county jail. I mean, I you know, I can remember in Crittenden County, we had some pretty bad people awaiting trial who walked away from Crittenden County Jail. hmm A couple of times. Of course, as I was saying, when you drive through St. Francisville, which is near where Angola is, There are Mm -hmm. signs that tell you, do not pick up hitchhikers. Right.
4: Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Don't do it. And I can remember I was driving to West Helena and I drove past, um, I think it was a federal prison and there were signs like three miles out and three miles on. Once you got past the prison, that said, do not pick up hitchhikers.
4: Yep. Same
1: if here. If you see
3: a hitchhiker, call Arkansas State Police. Right. Call this number if you see a hitchhiker. <clears throat> I can
1: understand. So
3: that. um, you know. So that is why, and you know, I've I've tried to explain that multiple times on Rodney Reed. They've got a capital murder conviction. He's sentenced to death. He's been well, indicted for each of these sexual assaults. The statute of limitations is no longer running on those sexual assaults. Mm-hmm. So, he could be tried. Right. You know, and that, there, there would be no bar to trying him uh, in those cases, all, except The biggest bar, the biggest hurdle is the cost and security issues of housing a capital murder, a party convicted of capital murder in a county jail in his home county.
1: Mm hmm.
3: You know, where he either has a lot of support or none at all because everybody in town hates people with the name Reed. True, true. So, Vance's direct appeal, his conviction and sentences were affirmed by the Arkansas State Supreme Court in, I believe it was June of, yeah, June 2nd, 2011. Um, You know, once again, the the State Supreme Court found that the trial judge did not make, did not err when considering the DNA sample that was taken from Vance or his subsequent confessions, Mm -hmm. um, or ruling on the voluntariness or, uh, admissibility of those, those statements. Um, Vance also raised issues regarding closing arguments, which we kind of talked about, um, The prosecutor made some statements that implied that the defense was not being honest with the jury, was trying to fool him. Um, when Vance when Vance's counsel objected, the judge essentially sustained the objections and eventually there was a bench conference at which time the judge told the prosecutor to move on. So basically vance got everything he asked for in relation to those arguments uh but the argument that he tried to raise with the appellate court was that the arguments in and of themselves should have resulted in a mistrial and the court found the you know supreme court found that that was not the case uh There was also an incident on the – at the end of the third day of trial, as Vance was leaving the courthouse or leaving the courtroom, two of the jurors observed him in prison garb and shackled. The following day, uh, the defense counsel requested that that not happen again. And that was it. Was brought to the attention of the court, the judge, the prosecutor, and um, the judge instructed the sheriff's office to wait longer before transporting Vance. Um, The Vance's attorneys did not ask for a mistrial at that point, and he received what he asked for was an admonition to the sheriff's office to let the jury have plenty of time to clear out before they start transporting Vance. Um, again, on a direct appeal, his attorneys argued that that should have resulted in mistrial, but he wasn't observed by the entire jury. He was only observed by one or two jurors at the end of a day, and the jury knew that he was being held pending trial okay so, so it was it was kind of a you know there's really not any harm in right. that situation it wasn't the entire jury for example you know the entire jury getting up to leave And go back to the jury room, and the sheriff's coming in and cuffing Vance and taking off his suit jacket and exposing a prison shirt with a, you know, DOC number on it or anything like that. Um, So, and then uh, there was also an issue raised regarding the uh, Mariana rape evidence that was admitted. Uh, But it was admitted to show similarity of the crimes as well as motives. And the judge was not in error to allow that limited information to be admitted.
4: Right. Right.
3: Um, I believe uh, Chief Justice Hannah concurred in the... um, in the opinion, but he did warn against uh, entering similar crime evidence, and he felt that there will come a case when that issue needs to be revisited by the Arkansas State Supreme Court. True. On the use of similar crime. But, I mean, it is is sometimes important, because even though you don't have to prove motives, As an element of a murder case, it's still something – a why is something that people want, especially when you're seeking a capital murder conviction and perhaps seeking the death penalty. And so you want to show why a crime occurs. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, so it was, and and the judges, you know judges are pretty careful limiting how much you how much the jury hears, and that what you know of course, similar crime evidence is always going to be prejudicial to a defendant. But you know, the courts balance and try to offset the prejudicial effect as much as they can. While still allowing all of the evidence, because that's what we hear in all these, you know, actual innocence cases. They want a trial where all the evidence can be presented, and yet they don't want all the evidence presented. They want their evidence presented, and not any evidence that leads to a conclusion that he's guilty. Hmm. So um, that was that was pretty much that was pretty much it on his direct appeal. His uh, conviction and sentence were both affirmed. Um, Again, you know that most of the issues were uh, the pretrial rulings on the confessions and the expert testimony. And then finally, of course, Arkansas is a little bit different in that the Arkansas Supreme Court in capital cases reviews the entire records uh, of the case and determines whether or not there are any errors in the record that weren't brought out during the appeal, and they did not find that in this case, so – uh, they affirm the judgment. Okay. So, uh, state post conviction, there really isn't anything. Um, in Arkansas, you have 60 days after your conviction and sentence become final to file. A state post conviction petition. Uh, Vance's state post conviction became final, or state conviction and sentence rather, became final on June 21st when the mandate was issued by the Arkansas right. State Supreme Court. Um, the he filed a pro se petition for post conviction relief on August. 31st, which was more than 60 days. So he filed out of time. Um, And the issues that he wants to raise pretty much, he raised some ineffective assistance of counsel, but he was re-arguing the admission of the DNA, which was, um, you know, he says it was illegally obtained, but the, Trial court and the appeals court disagreed with that assessment. Um, he alleges that the defense did not put on alibi witnesses. Uh, it's a pro se petition. It's handwritten. And it is kind of hard to make heads or tails about what he's arguing.
1: Right.
3: Um so, but you know, nothing really. Uh, he he misre he misrepresents the, the uh, Mariana case because he says uh, in a footnote of the that the Mariana case was found to be untrue and adjudicated not guilty by a jury. But that was not an adjudication and not guilty. It was a mistrial where no jury verdict was reached, and um, that was two years after the Presley trial. And you don't have to have a conviction in order to get a similar crime admitted at a trial. Right. Um, So he also titled this a pro se petition for post-conviction relief under Rule 37, habeas corpus, and writ of error quorum quorum nobis, and quo warranto. Mm -hmm. I think a, a jailhouse attorney probably provided him a form and had him plug in some information about his own case. Right. Um so uh on October twelfth, twenty eleven, the petition for post conviction release was relief was denied uh because it was out of time. And uh, could not therefore be considered. And then the writ of error quorum nobis is narrow. It's an exceedingly narrow remedy. And it's only appropriate when an issue was not addressed or could not have been addressed at trial because it was somehow hidden or unknown and it would have prevented the rendition of judgment had it been known to the trial court. Um, He wasn't alleging anything that was hidden or unknown. In fact, he was trying to re-argue issues that, you know, re-argue Judge Piazza's decisions on the confessions, the DNA sample, et cetera. Um, mm-hmm. And writ of error of nobis in Arkansas is available to address uh, errors of the most fundamental nature that are found in one of four categories. Insanity at the time of trial, a coerced guilty plea, material evidence withheld by the prosecutor or a third-party confession of the crime during the time between conviction and appeal. Mm -hmm. And Vance didn't allege any of those things. Um, While he alleged prosecutorial misconduct uh, based on the prosecutor authorizing and allowing the house and crime scene to be destroyed prior to to trial, which destroyed destroyed critical evidence, Um, Judge Piazza found that that conduct did not amount to material evidence withheld. And basically, I mean, Vance, there wasn't a long delay between the crime and his arrest or the beginning of the case against him. And so if his attorneys had wanted the house preserved, they could have taken steps to do so or asked that steps be taken to do so, and they did Mom. not, or Vance presented no evidence that they did. The House doesn't belong to the prosecutor, and that's another, I think, a bit of confusion that people tend to have. They think if it's a crime scene, the police and the prosecutor have to hold on to it forever until trial. And that simply is not the case. And, you know, we've seen instances in the Stephen Avery case. The owner of Avery's trailer filed a suit to get his trailer back. And filed a suit for damages for things, you know, damages done to the trailer while Mm -hmm. he was in police custody. So, um... You know, like I said, he didn't allege any facts. He didn't say, you know, my attorneys wanted to go look at the house, and we were scheduled to go look at the house on April 2nd, and we got a call on April 1st that the owner had decided to raise the house and it wasn't there anymore. Very true. So the writ of error was denied, and then um, Judge Piazza dismissed the writ of habeas corpus, Because Vance was not incarcerated in Pulaski County, and so the Pulaski County Court did not have jurisdiction on writ of habeas corpus. Now, I cannot find any evidence that Vance has filed any other state post-conviction claims, and I also have not found any evidence that he's filed a federal habeas corpus claim.
4: Okay.
3: So um, I think that that was the end of the line for his Mm post-conviction. Absent attorneys getting involved and legitimately developing, quote, new evidence, Um, that's probably the end of the line for Vance. Horrible comments about Ann and Kristen notwithstanding on, on the internet and social media. Right. So, um, and then, uh, so that, yeah, that's the end. He has no federal, uh, and his, his time to file a federal writ of habeas corpus was ran in 2012. I would Mm -hmm. say October of 2012, within a year of the denial of his uh, state post-conviction and dismissal of state post-conviction. But even if he had filed a uh, writ of habeas corpus in federal court, the out-of-time petition, the issues raised in that wouldn't be reviewable in federal court because he didn't timely raise them in state court. They would have been defaulted. right, um you know the the writ of error claim might have been reviewable, but I don't know because again, it was still you know untimely um and not certainly not well developed <laughs> um, and then the the state habeas corpus writ <clears throat> that's usually like with DNA evidence that exonerates you. So, so I think that's the end of, of Vance's. Uh, unless Bryce Benjet's listening to this podcast and says, "I'm going to tick her off. I'm going to go help me some Curtis Vance." Mm-hmm.
4: That's hilarious.
3: I'm joking. I know Bryce <laughs> Benjet don't don't give a crap about anything I do, and he's going right. to be too busy letting uh, yeah. people out in Queens County.
4: Price Vinja to, got too many death penalties to work on to be worried about Well a no, you
3: know, now he's now he's in the conviction integrity unit in um the Queens DA uh, the oh, Queens yeah, County DA's gotta, office. So
4: he's
3: gonna he's gonna be letting people out in New York City now. Apparently. Mm
1: hmm.
3: So so that is Everything we need to talk about about Curtis Vance. Um, there is an Anne Presley Memorial Scholarship available uh, in Arkansas. And hang on a second, I'm gonna get that page up. Um, it is available for uh, girls looking to become journalists the uh, scholarships the deadline for applying is I, I think around May 3rd, uh May 1st It's managed by the Arkansas Community Foundation and it's open to girls in Arkansas who are pursuing careers in journalism. Uh, you could go to arcf.org Scholarships to apply. Mm-hmm. I'll make sure I'm I'm pulling that loop. Oh, nope. Oh, I can't pull up a secure connection. Let me see if I can find a more recent article. It was established in 2016. Um, there was a a Cabot student was awarded the scholarship in
1: 2018.
3: Okay. Uh. It's a $2,500 scholarship, and it's given out each year. And I think they award it in – the deadline for application is May 1st, so they award it in June. Um, Now, I don't know – I don't see anything from uh, 2019 me look but uh, yeah so that's you know that's a good thing It's like I said girls in Arkansas who want to pursue a career in journalism can go and apply for this scholarship to help offset you know some of the costs of Mm. college education and I think it's available every year And I sure. hope I, I hope they've been able to continue that. Um unfortunately I like I said I can't I can't find anything current. Uh the last articles are in twenty on K A T V. And so um but hopefully and I think it's any Arkansas student. Here's an article in Pine Bluff. Oh wait, I found a link to that site from 2018. I'm gonna go to it. Okay. I hate articles when they they jump and bump.
4: Oh yes, yes, you yes. Know? <laughs> those are annoying. And then they have like, ads that pop all the way down still- on the screen.
3: Oh yeah, and you. Yeah, well, okay. This uh, there, the link is broken. Um. So right, but uh, I hope they've been able to keep that going. And um, there was, uh, I think Rhodes College was also going to uh, set something up in Anne's memory. So, and of course like i said she was an organ donor she helped 6 people right um so that you know that's always a little piece of her is hopefully 10 years later um still alive as a result of her being an organ donor which is important um And it's actually more important with uh, Asian, Hispanic, and African-American than it actually is with Caucasians. Very true. Different different cultures have different traditions, and they see organ donation as a violation of those those traditions. Mm -hmm. But if you can help somebody, no matter what your beliefs, uh, I think no deity or faith could have any objection with that. So, and then finally, I didn't talk about this um, during the early part. While Anne was hospitalized at St. Vincent's, a doctor and two administrative personnel accessed Anne's medical records on the hospital's electronic records database. None of them had a legitimate purpose for doing so. The doctor was not treating Anne. The administrators were not billing or doing medical records or anything. Uh, Basically, she was a celebrity, a public persona and they were curious and so they went into the records and they looked at the records and there's no evidence that I could find that any of them disseminated anything that they found in those records
1: Mm -hmm. but it
3: was still a violation of the uh, HIPAA which is the medical records federal medical records protection act (laughs) and um they were charged with federal misdemeanors and they each pled guilty the administrators were both fired from St. Vincent's and I'm not going to identify these people um it looks like there is ongoing civil litigation uh so I I'm just not going to I'm not going to say their names Right. They know who they are. (laughs)
1: Probably for the best.
3: Mm -hmm. Um, The access was discovered when St. Vincent apparently did an audit of the record and found these three individuals with no legitimate purpose accessing the record. St. Vincent did take – they reported the violation. They – like I said, they terminated the two employees who access the record, and I mean, I can remember. I worked at the med for a temp service, and I worked in their legal department. And one of the things that I was tasked with at one point was going through old medical records and removing paper clips and staples and binder clips and prongs. And anything that was not paper to put everything into a bin so that a, a shredder could come and sit outside the hospital and the guys could throw paper and do an industrial shredder all day long. Mm-hmm. And um, that was one of the first things that, of course, in the legal field, I know, you know, I'm familiar with HIPAA, um, but I knew and I was told. Don't look at the identity of the patient, the diagnosis, the treatment, any of the information. The only thing you need to look at is the date of birth to determine whether the person was 18 at the time they were treated and whether the records can be destroyed now or whether we need to hold them for a period of time because the patient was under the age of 18. Okay. And so that was all. That was all that I did was I looked at the date of birth. If they were over eighteen, I took the papers. I took the you know the paper clips. I took the binder clips. I took them out of the prongs and I tossed the records in to the bin. If they were under eighteen when they were treated, I put them to the side.
4: Right. That makes sense.
3: And that was, that was it. And I can remember another time um, a doctor's office in Memphis, I believe, their medical records were found in a dumpster behind the office, and some of them had been scattered by the wind onto the ground. <clears throat> and I can remember trying to access old records for a client where his doctor had no idea where the records were. So, I mean, you know, what they did was serious. Um, St. Vincent's was eventually dismissed from the lawsuit because the uh, employees were not acting within the course and scope of their employment.
2: And they mm-hmm. were violating
3: St. Vincent's policies. So St. Vincent was dismissed. Um, the invasion of privacy claims that Miss Kennedy, uh, Ann's mother, made on her behalf were dismissed on summary judgment, which was affirmed by the Arkansas State Supreme Court because the invasion of privacy claim was Personal to Anne Presley and is not a claim that would survive after her death. Miss Kennedy also uh, raised claims of outrage that their conduct was outrageous and caused harm, um, and those appear to still be pending. Um, the case was. Uh, the defendants all filed motions for summary judgment in 2016, and the individual defendant's summary judgment was denied. But basically that really only means that there are disputed facts that need to be determined by a jury or should be heard by a jury to determine whether or not – you know who's, <clears throat> whose facts prevail. And um, there hasn't been any – the Arkansas State Supreme Court affirmed the dismissal of St. Vincent's and didn't review the summary judgment of the individual defendants um, in 2018. But since then, there's there's been nothing. There's no trial set. There's no motions pending. There aren't any more um, – summary judgment motions. So it is kind of pending at this moment. Okay. So Hmm. um you know, I mean I think it it, it's
4: we're not quite dead on a ride you know, dead, but you know, it's pretty much low dude's gonna be spending his life in
3: Oh good and this 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 claim has nothing to do with with Vance.
2: Oh, okay. This is simply
3: Mrs. Kennedy's claim that basically these people looking at her daughter's medical records when they had no legitimate purpose for doing so Mm -hmm. um, caused her harm and caused Anne harm and caused her family members harm. And, you know, again, that's that's an issue that's... Those issues are going to be heard by a jury and decided by a jury at some point in time.
2: Okay. I
4: apologize. I I misunderstood.
3: No, I, I did, I did say a little earlier um, that, you know, Curtis Vance's conviction and sentence are final.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, His
3: one effort at state post-conviction was unsuccessful. Um, So the validity of his conviction and sentence are not in question. (laughs) at least not as far as any court in the state of Arkansas is concerned. Mm -hmm. Um, He has never filed a federal writ of habeas corpus and his time for doing so passed in 2012. So he would be about eight years too late. If he were to do so now, um, But that would be for the federal court to to determine. Um, He also hasn't – he's never sought state post-conviction DNA testing either, although I don't think he'd qualify under the statute because he – his conviction is based on DNA evidence. And he had a DNA expert at trial. Okay. Hmm. So, but that is, that's basically, that sums up Arkansas versus Curtis Lavelle Vance. Um, and again, you know, I guess close out my final thoughts are, um, Ann Presley, watching the interviews I could watch, listening to, there was a radio show that she appeared on. Um, she was just a lovely young woman inside As well as outside. I mean she was beautiful, you know, physical appearance. She was beautiful. She had a beautiful smile, beautiful blonde, but she also was was one of those people that is as good on the inside as she looks on the outside. Because, again, one of her friends said if she came across somebody in a bad mood, it became her mission in life to make that person happy again.
2: Right, right.
3: So, um, and, you know, uh, there were a lot of people there when she passed away. But a lot of friends, in addition to her, her mother and her stepfather, she was an only child. Um so you know but her her friends were right there with her and were there the entire 5 days right so uh like and i i remember i remember that and i remember the tributes pouring in and the good things said about her and she was she just strikes me as such a lovely 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 person Um, and a you know a feisty one too because she fought back, and for five days she fought in the hospital, but it, her, the damage was just too too much for her to overcome.
4: Yeah, I mean she tried, and that's the mm-hmm. thing, you know. It, uh... I I I hate that crap, man. I do.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So well that is that is Anne Presley. Okay. All right, so are we ready to put a bow on her? Let's
4: put a bow on her.
3: All right. Thank you for listening to Clear and Convincing with Lisa O'Brien and Michael Carnahan. If you like our show and want to know more, you can find us on Facebook, go to our blog at clearandconvincingpodcast.wordpress.com, or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien Join us on Tuesday, January twenty eighth, 2020, at 8 o'clock p.m. Central for episode 47, State of Florida versus Doris Donegan Moore. In April 2009, Abraham Shakespeare, a Florida lottery winner, disappeared from his home in Plant City, Florida. He was reported missing in November 2009, and his body was ultimately located buried behind a house allegedly purchased from Shakespeare by D.D. Moore. Moore's scheme, which included texting Shakespeare's friends and family posing as Shakespeare, was eventually undone when she tried to have someone else take the fall for Shakespeare's murder. We'll talk about Shakespeare's disappearance, Moore's conversion of Shakespeare's assets, her 2010 arrest, and 2012 trial, conviction, and sentence. Then we'll talk about her direct appeal and state post-conviction claims. Until then, have a great week and stay safe. Good night.